0: the Quiet Part Loud podcast. I'm your host, Daryl, and we're coming live to you with some video. So we've uh, taken a few weeks off, and that was for the purpose of sort of relaunching the show as, you know, more of a video show, better production value, uh, just adding some segments, just taking the show up to another level. And for anybody that's engaged with us on YouTube, I just want to say thank you straight away. We've uploaded a few videos to YouTube, and... The response has been pretty good. Uh, There'll be more coming, but this just gives us a way to interact with you in different mediums and, I mean, you have to do a video podcast, right? You can't just do audio anymore. So, uh, So here we are. This is episode 140 and I thought with less than a week away from the U.S. election, it would be good to jump on and give our thoughts, my thoughts on the things that have been going on with the election so far, the politics as a whole, what we're doing with coronavirus, both in the UK and the US, and introduce some new segments. And the segment that I wanted to introduce is going to be called the QPL of the week, which is the quiet part loud of the week. And if anybody doesn't know, the quiet part loud is when you say things out loud that you usually keep in your head. That's the whole ethos of this show. It was a way of being able to express ourselves freely and perhaps tackle some issues in a more uncensored and more direct way than perhaps the media does and certainly in today's media how you know they skirt issues and you know they fall on one side of the aisle or the other and we're not like that we're apolitical we shoot it straight down the middle and if you've never listened to the show, you'll. if you have listened to the show, you'll know that whether it's the left or the right, conservative, labor, democrat, republican, it doesn't matter. We like to judge people on the content of what they bring to the table, the content of their character. And that is something in our current discourse we are sorely lacking. And I feel that people need to be held accountable for things. We all have to be accountable for our actions. And I feel that those in power need to have someone call them on their nonsense. And in today's landscape, today's world, things are more divided than ever. You see what's going on in America with the protests. And you know we've recently had another shooting of a, of a black man which sparked riots. Uh it was it in Portland or somewhere else? I, I can't remember. Um, but you know, we're not we're not familiar with nuance. It seems it, we're not familiar with context and depth of arguments and debates. And nobody wants to jump across the aisle, as it were, to have a conversation with somebody that they disagree with. It is echo chamber, siloed conversation. Our social media amplifies this. Our friends and family generally amplify this. And I don't like those barriers. I don't like those silos. I don't like when we are so fragmented that you can't have a conversation with somebody that you passionately, perhaps passionately disagree about a subject with. So this is a platform where we will tackle all of that. And if you've listened to the show before, as I said, you'll know... That's exactly what we get into. So with the new segment that I want to introduce, that's really about highlighting somebody in the public sphere that has almost forgot they were talking in a live scenario and said something perhaps that was in here that they shouldn't have said, but they let it out of the bag. And the first one that I wanted to bring up was Jane Fonda. Now... This happened a couple of weeks ago and we all know Jane Fonda, right? She's the 80s aerobics queen. She's uh, you know, she's a television and film actress. Um, a lot of people know her as by her kind of unwanted nickname, which is Hanoi Jane. And Jane Fonda's always been a sort of feminist activist type. She's always kind of stood up for the, you know, quote unquote moral good. But the way she got her nickname Hanoi Jane was because during the Vietnam War, she was protesting American troops in Vietnam. And you can feel whatever way you want to feel about the Vietnam War, if you have any feelings at all about that, uh, whether it be sort of Henry Kissinger or, you know, the sort of imperialistic kind of colonization that America seems to, you know, have strapped to their hip. They just go in and invade places for their own wants and their own needs and... You know, do what they like, effectively. And Jane Fond has always been an activist on the liberal side of many, many arguments. Women's rights, as I said, the Vietnam War, so on and so forth. But the reason she got her name Hanoi Jane, the nickname Hanoi Jane, was because she took a trip to Vietnam during the war and hung out with the Vietnam army, the Vietnamese army. She was pictured... On an anti-aircraft gun that was used to shoot down American soldiers and you know this is a story and a nickname that follows her for decades and she's apologized many many times over the years about that photo and, and how she was duped into you know what that was going to be and how that was going to be publicized and so on and so forth but a couple of weeks ago she was doing an interview with Kamala Harris and Kamala Harris is the vice presidential candidate for the Democratic Party. She's running with Joe Biden, if you don't know, or if you've been sleeping under a rock for the past year. She is uh, on an interview with Kamala Harris. She's on a web call, and they're talking about COVID. Now, COVID has hit us all pretty bad with the lockdown. It's you know it's affecting our mental health. It's affecting our employment, our finances, our relationships, et etc., 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 Everybody's going through it so everybody knows what it is. Well, Jane Fonda took the opportunity to say what I considered to be the quiet part loud. She said that COVID was God's gift to the left. And what she was referring to was the fact that the COVID pandemic and how... Detrimental and devastating, it's been to America. You know, there are what seven or eight million cases, 250,000 people have died somewhere around there, 230,000, 40,000. It's got to be close to a quarter million now. Um, what she meant by COVID is God's gift to the left was that this was a political tool that could be used and has been used by the left and the Democrats to get the voting public. ...to move away from Donald Trump. Effectively, at the time there was 200,000 deaths when she made the statement. But effectively that shows a lot about the mindset of the Democratic Party... ...and the people who follow the Democratic Party in the U.S. And the fact that they're willing to take any tragedy... ...and stoop to any level that they can... ...to underhandedly discredit a candidate... For their own political will and for their own political ends and I just thought that this was really disgusting from someone who's had a track record of being on the wrong side of certain important events in history that she could say this jokingly laughing almost proud that she said this not thinking to herself there's 200,000 families at the time that you have just effectively said their loss and their family's pain and their struggle and their, you know, their, I mean, what else do you want to call it? It's it's just their tragedies, their family tragedies were held up as a beneficial political tool for the left to use against Donald Trump. Now, as I said at the outset, we're apolitical. I judge you on your character. What you bring to the table, what comes out of your mouth, what actions you demonstrate. That's how I judge folks. I don't care if it's left, right, red, blue, it doesn't matter. But it's very telling how the Democrats think, how the far-left activists, the fanatical left, look at politics, and what they're willing to do in order to win. And they're, they're willing to use the pain and suffering of 200,000 families to say this is God's gift to the left, like we should be thankful for COVID because it's ultimately going to get us rid of Donald Trump. And I just think this kind of rhetoric is, well, for one, it's, it's incredibly divisive. But two, and more importantly, it's incredibly transparent and very gross because who would use that sort of a tragedy 200,000 people dying people dying on ventilators you know from kids to elderly folks dying without being able to say goodbye to their families isolated all by themselves who would have the audacity to say that this was a good thing this was god's gift to the left Because it's going to help us get rid of Donald Trump. And that's yet to be seen, by the way. And we'll get into that a little later. But I just thought it was really disgusting that someone, anyone, especially her with her track record, could come out and be so ignorant to the plight and struggle that so many people have been going through that I just had to highlight it and give her the... Honor of being our first recipient of the QPL of the week, but I want you guys to pay attention to the dialogue and and the verbiage that's being used from some folks in politics and some folks who support, you know, w- steadfastly support one side or another in political di- in political discourse and political dialogue, because more and more it seems that we are willing to do whatever it takes to win. And it doesn't actually matter what the best outcome is for the most people. And ultimately that's what you should be doing when you're making a decision about who is going to lead a country and who is going to take power over, you know, the world's greatest military and the world's greatest economy and so on and so forth. That's not something to be played with lightly. And it's certainly not something to be played with flippantly. As Jane Fonda said, That this is just like a throwaway comment. Come on, we gotta harness this now. We gotta take advantage of the tragedy that is COVID and we gotta use it to rid the world of Donald Trump. Do I like Donald Trump? Absolutely not. So, this is not me favoring one or the other. I just think it's very telling about the level of integrity a person has when they can just off the top of their head say something as disgusting as that so jane fonda congratulations if you ever see this you are our first recipient of the qpl of the week the quiet part loud of the week and what i want to do and we'll be more structured as we go through i'm getting all my setup done and you know i've had to light everything and set the cameras up etc um but we'll segment this and we'll we'll deliver this in a much more um, regimented way going forward but every episode that I do by myself I'll be highlighting one person for the QPL of the week award and Jane Fonda you got the first one so congratulations on being a stooge for the Democratic Party, congratulations on continuing your track record of being a loudmouth without any true substance and uh Congratulations for making the board. Maybe when we get a proper studio, I'll start hanging these folks' pictures up. Um, but for now, thanks for the gem. It was uh, it was really telling. Following on from that, as I said, we're a couple of ways, uh, a couple of days away from the American election, and it's again, if you've been living under a rock, you won't know, but if you haven't, then you will. It's between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, and. The Democratic Party have spent the last three years, myself included, on this podcast, digging into all the ways that Donald Trump is a useless politician, a useless leader who has very little moral integrity. Uh, you know, really doesn't understand things like foreign policy and economics, and you know, human rights and regulation and environmental challenges, etc. I've said it numerous times on this podcast. If you've listened. To me, before I have been a vehement, vehement dissenter of Donald Trump. I have I have been no way, shape, or form a supporter of his, and that doesn't change. I don't like Donald Trump. I don't like his personality. I don't like his politics. But what's really raised his head in the past year or so for me is how disgusting the Democratic Party is, and. Not only the Democratic Party, but the the liberal mainstream media as well. I now now I always knew that the media was corrupt, that the media was biased, that the media had again these echo chamber uh, sort of manifestos, right? CNN, MSNBC, you know where they're going. Fox News, Breitbart, etc. You know where they're going. But recently, it's gone a degree further. And this includes social media. We know social media, the Silicon Valley folks. We know which side of the aisle and which political leanings they have. We know that, right? They're left, they're liberal, and they've been you know, trying to censor and remove conservative voices from their platforms for quite a while now. But what's been happening over the past couple of weeks is really disturbing. And it's disturbing on a much greater level, not just in politics, but for everybody. Because if they can attack the folks that they've been attacking, they can attack you the moment they don't like something that you write even easier. Because you don't have a platform. Most people don't have a platform other than these social media platforms, right? Facebook is the way that you talk shit about Facebook. Twitter is the way that you talk shit about Twitter. Or Twitter is the way you talk shit about Facebook. And Facebook's the way you talk shit about Twitter. Whatever your cup of tea is. But recently... Something has come out about Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden is Joe Biden's son. Hunter Biden is a, well, at least was, a pretty involved crackhead and substance abuser. He has many, many issues. But one of the things that's come out recently is, and this goes back to the sort of the Trump-Russiagate scandal that, really didn't bear out any evidence or any truth is actually it was Hunter Biden in the Ukraine and doing deals with China by using his father's political clout and making a lot of money from it. Now this was categorically denied by the Biden campaign. Joe Biden on many occasions has said, I've never taken a a penny from anybody Uh, outside of the US any foreign donors etc but Hunter Biden and his substance abuse problems have recently turned up a laptop full of documents full of emails full of communications with folks in Russia with folks in Ukraine with folks in China that clearly show him leveraging his father for his own financial gain and goes further to involve his father in some of those financial dealings. This is almost the complete opposite of what the Democrats... Well, it's not the complete opposite. It's exactly the thing that the Democrats were accusing Donald Trump of, right? He was meddling in Ukraine. He was... Uh, A foreign agent for Russia taking money from Russia and this is where the impeachment came from but it turns out what this ended up being was projection it was the Democrats projecting what they were actually fearful of the world knowing about them rather than what they could prove about Donald Trump now to my point about media and censorship, and how they're culling free speech, because that's what the crux of this this discussion is really about. About a week ago, the New York Post, which is the, I believe it's the oldest publication in America, it's something like 250 years old, maybe more. It's the fourth largest publication in America. They tweeted out. Communications from these emails—they were leaked, and Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump's lawyer, ex-New York mayor, leaked these because he was given them. And there's a whole story behind that, and you can go and check out how that happened if you're so inclined. But the point is, these documents came out. They were then put to the New York Post, who tweeted them out. Keep in mind, now there has been no ref—there's uh, been no refuting this from the Biden campaign. Everybody has been shtum. Everybody's been silent about it. They deflect from it. I mean, they're not even being asked about it, in all honesty. But it seems to be almost like a non-issue. Now, the New York Post tweeted this out. You can read the documents. You can read the emails. You know, all of the evidence is is, is again, being unchallenged for its authenticity by the Biden party and the Biden community. Well, this is very damning. This is sort of the equivalent to the FBI investigation that happened to Hillary Clinton about a week or two before the 2016 election, which she lost subsequently to Donald Trump. So what Twitter decided to do was block it and suspend anybody that tweeted it out. And I'm talking about the press secretary of the United States government, who works for Donald Trump. She tweeted it out. Her account is suspended. The New York Post, who leaked the story, their account was suspended. Anybody that tried to retweet that tweet was blocked from doing so. Facebook wouldn't even post it. So what we're seeing here is the biggest impediment on free speech by two of the biggest platforms in the world that the world has ever known for free and open communication. This is one of the biggest impediments and violations of freedom of press and freedom of speech that we have ever seen. And the precedent that it sets is terrifying. If you are... Told by a social media company what you cannot can and cannot say on their platform how is that a free and open platform? To me this is almost the equivalent of a political donation to the Biden campaign to say don't worry we're going to squash this thing nobody's going to really care It'll go away in a week, and by that time you'll have run over the finish line and won the election. That's our contribution to you. Well, unfortunately, this thing didn't go away. And the CEOs of Twitter, Facebook, and Google were pulled in front of the Senate yesterday to discuss why this happened. And to no shock of mine, or I'm sure anybody else's, they didn't give any sort of viable answers for why this happened. It was a glitch. It was a malfunction. They can now repost the story if they want to because now they know they can't actually get away with it or at least they can't get away with it again. And they probably think, well, we're that close to the election now that it probably won't matter. But this is social media companies... Interfering with elections. Make no mistake about it. This is absolutely election interference. This is this is criminal. If you want a true democracy. If you value the freedom of speech. If you value freedom of the press and journalistic integrity. This cannot stand. This cannot be allowed to happen. Because... This sets a precedent of getting away with censoring things that they don't agree with. And whoever made them the arbiters of truth and morality, I certainly didn't. I'm sure nobody watching this video ever did. And don't we care about truth and transparency in our political process? Surely that's something that we would all want. So I'm really disturbed by by this because if they can go after these folks with little to no consequences other than saying, oops, I'll go ahead and redo it now. And the, the line from Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter was, well, all they have to do is delete the original tweet, sign back into their account, and then they can tweet that content out again. But that in of itself is censorship they're saying you in order to get this information out you have to delete that first thing and then you can go ahead and redo what you wanted to publish and what you wanted to post they're dictating the terms of which we can communicate with each other and that should never be okay these companies What are they? We have to define what these social media companies are, what these ISPs are, what these internet browsers are. We have to define this because if we don't, we are going to be censored for anything that they don't like. And the slope goes like this and it goes really quick. It's a slippery, slippery slope when you're talking about censorship, when you're talking about freedom of speech. It is a fundamental right of humans, and I know in the UK we don't actually have it written in the Constitution, but in all honesty, fuck the Constitution. Every human on the planet should have freedom of speech, and I mean everybody. The reason I got kicked off of Facebook the first time was because I, I put a post up after Alex Jones had been banned from Twitter and Facebook. And I think when he was kicked off of YouTube as well, it might may have happened around the same time. But what I said was that, effectively what I'm saying now, freedom of speech is non-negotiable. And it is not determined what freedom of speech is by a CEO or a social media platform or a government. It absolutely is not. I reserve your right to say anything you like. And the simple fact is, I want you to have that right. We must have that right. Because I want to be able to say whatever I want to you as well. And that includes Nazis. That includes white supremacists. That includes terrorists. That includes everybody. The only thing I draw a line under is when you specifically incite violence against someone. When you make an outright threat towards somebody to inflict violence on them, that's where I have a problem. That's where I say, no, this needs to be moderated. But other than that, if you want to call me, you know, a bald-headed white cunt, uh, you know, if you want to call, you know, a black person the N-word, if you want to call, you know... Uh, you know someone from the Middle East you know all of the derogatory terms that you can come up with if you want to do that that's fine I don't care I seriously don't care freedom of speech should not have boundaries unless it incites direct violence against a person, group or organization right so terrorists can say death to America but if they say, well, I suppose that's kind of like a, you know, that's that's a touchy one. Let's, that's a touchy one. But I hope you get what I'm saying without me running off and, and giving multiple examples of, uh, of every instance where, you know, freedom of speech should be maintained. Because human rights, civil rights, things like that, once they're gone, they don't ever come back. And I was kicked off of Facebook for saying, If they can come after Alex Jones, they can come after you. And within a couple of days of that post being up, my account was shut down. I didn't have any recourse. I couldn't contact Facebook and say, hey, what's this all about? Every time I contacted them, they gave me another strike. And it's a three strike and you're done policy with Facebook. So what happened was they gave me a strike. I went to Facebook and I said, what's this all about? and they said you violated our terms and conditions and I said for what? I went back again and I said could you explain to me or give me evidence of why and how I violated your terms and conditions strike two came at the next point and I said this is absurd I said I haven't done anything wrong my last post was about this blah 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 strike three the reason I was posting pornography on Facebook that's what they accused me of Nudity and pornography. Now, Facebook is a community that I share at, well that I shared at the time with my mom, with my sister, with my grandmother, uh, with a couple of uncles, a couple of aunts, few cousins, but also my wife's mom, and my wife's aunts and cousins, some of who are younger, some of who are my age. My entire family network was on Facebook. Do you think that I am a deprived maniac that I would be posting nudity on Facebook? Or posting nudity and pornography anywhere? What kind of a sick, twisted individual does that? But that's what they used, and I didn't have any recourse, so my account was shut down. I lost 10 years of photos, videos, my wedding content was in there. My two business pages were deleted. All the followings that I had on those pages, all the money that I'd spent on promotion with Facebook, those were gone. And I didn't have the opportunity to have a conversation with anybody. So it bore out in real time. And I just think what they're doing with this Hunter Biden story is it is such an audacious step forward. Because now they're effectively saying, (coughs) we don't care what you think. There's nothing you can do to us, and truthfully, I'm still searching for something to be done. How do you stop these people? Because as I said at the beginning of this show, you go to those platforms to complain, right? I mean, Twitter is a cesspool of like dog whistles, you know, violent like insights and. You know, just people bitching and moaning about everything and complaining about everything. I mean, that's what Twitter is. Twitter is just, you know, it's the worst of us played out in 280 characters for the most part. But you go to Twitter to complain about things that happen, right? So, for instance, if, if you get a bad customer experience with, I don't know, someone who installs your new flooring or your food delivery or whatever you know you have a bad experience at a restaurant or you have a bad experience on holiday at a hotel or something like that right you go on twitter you tag that account you complain about them and you hopefully get some sort of an apology or compensation or something like that but when the folks you have to make a complaint about are the people that run the platform what are you to do the politicians that we have trying to regulate these folks don't know their ass from their elbow They certainly don't know anything about social media or the internet. If you've listened to any of the Senate hearings and any of the questioning that comes down, you'll know that these are absolutely the wrong people to be doing the questioning. And at the end of the day, there's so much political lobbying that goes on that most of these politicians are in the back pocket of one of these companies or all of them anyhow. So it makes me wonder what our opportunity is here to level the playing field at all. Advertisers will make these grand gestures of boycotting these platforms for a month when they don't agree with something. But that's like, you can't find a company that makes a billion dollars a month, two million dollars. They'll take that every time to continue the business practices that they're doing. So, for me, it's a real problem because there doesn't seem to be any any way to stop this. And now, in 2016, we were talking about the Russians interfering in the U.S. election. But now we're talking about American companies interfering in American elections. To point favor and momentum and, you know, hopefully a win to the candidates that they like most or that align with their values. And in this instance, it's Joe Biden. So even though there is evidence that has not been refuted by the campaign itself of what is essentially boiling down to corruption, they have put a block on anybody sharing this content. And if you go to the mainstream media, which are just as complicit, you won't find this story. I mean, you might hear a little bit about it, but CNN aren't going to cover it. They're more interested in telling you what Kanye got Kim Kardashian for her 40th birthday than telling you about what's inside the emails on Hunter Biden's laptop that he left in a repair store for so long that the repair st- the, the repair shop owner was b- basically went through it. And he was like, what the fuck is all this? T- called the FBI. The FBI sat on it until somebody within the FBI leaked it out and Rudy Giuliani got a hold of it so they are actively interfering in American politics and in the American election which is only a few days away and I think for that reason for the gross misconduct and the behavior that we're seeing from the Democratic Party and the left with the violence and the protests and the Black Lives Matter and, you know, the Antifa and all this disgusting garbage. For the first time in my life, I'm actually... And it I almost, I almost pains me to say it to a degree, but I think Donald Trump is a better option than Joe Biden is. And that for me, is really upsetting and kind of mind-blowing at the same time that I would ever even frame my thinking to be able to speak those words. Do you understand me? I'm talking about Donald Trump. This guy is a fucking scumbag, okay? He's a liar. He's, he's a dirtbag. I mean, he's fucking, you know, he's, he's in the Epstein circles, but then again, so are a lot of people on the Democratic side as well. But I never once in my life thought I would ever be able to speak to I was calling for Trump's impeachment in 2016. I was giving him a year before the Democrats got him the fuck out of there. And I would have welcomed it. I would have been like, yep, that's absolutely what needs to happen. But as this thing has kind of gone on, the term fake news that you hear him coining and using, you know, Well, now it doesn't seem like such a bullshit statement. Because you see evidence of CNN just not covering stories or making up stories. You see MSNBC. You see these social media outlets that are... I mean, they used to hide it. They used to play like they were middle of the road. Middle of the road. Now they don't even hide it. Now it's like they're not even ashamed to come out and, again, say the quiet part out loud, right? So it's just really worrying because I value free speech. And that's why I started a podcast in the first place was so that I could say the things that I wanted to say about subjects that were important to me in a way that nobody could tell me, ooh, you can't say it that way. (coughs) I've heard that all my life. You can't say it that way. That's not... That's not the way you 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 discuss these things. And I've always just thought like why not? Who who the fuck are you to tell me what I can and cannot say and how I can say it? So I started this show to be able to have that conversation with you and with with other guests and and just speak my mind and hopefully add some context and some nuance to the conversation and to some of these issues. But I feel that We are in a place of real danger now. And if Joe Biden wins, that's effectively making Kamala Harris the president. Because Joe Biden is not capable of running the country. He is not capable of running the world. He is not capable cognitively, physically, (coughs) to be the leader of the free world. He's just not. And let's not forget... This is his fourth time running for president? Third or fourth? Someone will correct me on that. (coughs) He's failed three times. He's been in politics for 50 years. He hasn't done a goddamn thing to benefit any of the people that he is now claiming to buddy up with and be the savior of. Black people. He signed the crime bill that decimated black communities. Now he wants to be the savior of the black community. Okay, that's convenient. That's convenient. In his first political run for president, he had to stop his campaign. Why? Plagiarism. He was plagiarizing John F. Kennedy's speeches. So, when I see people like Obama, and Michelle Obama, and Jane Fonda, and all the other celebrities out there that coddle up to the left just because I think where's your loyalty and but then you have to sort of disseminate, right? It's like okay, there's Hollywood over here and we know what Hollywood is. Hollywood's just liberals, like you know, it's just it's liberals. It's it's hardcore liberal folks, right? And they have to toe a certain line or they're not part of the party anymore. They don't get an invite to the party anymore. If you don't toe the line, you get excluded. Look what happened to Chris Pratt. They tried to they tried to get rid of him. Because he's fundamentally a Christian person and that generally sides with the Republicans. He came out and spoke it, they tried to get rid of him. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. And that's you know, that's a problem for me. So you got to speak out on these things. But that's a lot of Joe Biden, that's a lot of American politics, and I just wanted to kind of speak on it because it's really disturbing now how transparent and blatant they're being about censoring information, and they'd rather have a win than what's best, in my opinion. Self-serving wins rather than what is best for the collective. So hang tight, because it's going to be an interesting few days. And as the results start to come in, the mail-in ballots start to get counted. I still think Donald Trump has a chance of winning. And I completely discounted him in 2016. And I completely discounted him until probably a year ago. And something switched. And I think it was like the rise of all this Black Lives Matter bullshit. Like, you know, that they have these just false views of the world, right? Like, when you talk about police brutality and racism in the police force, it exists. For sure it exists. But does it exist to the degree that Black Lives Matter tell you? Definitely not. And the stats don't bear it out. <coughs> all you got to do is look at the stats, right? Data, facts, things like that, you know? More white people get killed by the cops every year than black people do. And people will say, well, yeah, but not by much. And if you look at it proportionally as part of the population, then black people are overwhelmingly killed by the police more often. That doesn't bear weight. Because if you look at the percentage of violent crimes committed in America, it's overwhelmingly black people and black men that commit the violent crimes. And when you get high violence areas you get a higher police presence. And when you get a higher police presence, you ultimately will get more interactions. And if that is, if those interactions are negative, you're ultimately going to get more negative outcomes, right? I'm not gonna sit here and delve into every single line of statistic that I've gone through and discussed with friends and so on. But you can do that research for yourself. It's called Google. You don't have to be spoon-fed bullshit your entire life anymore. We have the tools to fact check people. If you didn't see the Alex Jones podcast on with Joe Rogan the other day, this is a perfect example. They fact checked him in real time and he was right on like 90% of the things that he was saying. We have the tools now to check people. The bullshit meter is no longer something that has to be in here, you can type it. And you can check, as long as you check the reliable sources. So you can do that work for yourself. But that was when this all started to turn around for me, was when I saw the rise of this Black Lives Matter organization. And you know, if you don't know the origins of Black Lives Matter, the organization, you really should do a little bit of research on it because they're what is called a neo-Marxist, uh, neo-Marxist organization. If you don't know what Marxism is, you need to do your research and have a look back in history. And if you want to go back and look at some literature that will help you understand the consequences of what Marxism can do to a community, to a country, to a region, go and read the Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Because it is something that should be taught in every single school. And any kid that knows what the Holocaust is should know what the Bolshevik res, res- what the Bolshevik revolution was. Do your research. Don't just be sucked into these fucking echo chambers. It's so boring and so bland. Do you not want to know what's happening on the other side of the conversation? Do you not want to kind of triangulate your own thoughts based on critical thinking and information that you're disseminating yourself? Do you not have that kind of beating in your heart do you like to be kind of spoon-fed all this garbage and swallow it like it's you know tasty and healthy and fruitful for you go and check some of these things out it's kind of like covid right like when covid jumped off i was like this is fucking terrible like i was i was straight on it i went to people at work i was like you need to You need to get this under control like you need to protect yourself because this is going to start running through people and we don't know how bad it is yet so i was i was probably three four five weeks ahead of where anybody else was certainly a couple of months ahead of where the government in this country was like we were already stocking up on some things that we needed (coughs) i was staying in the house we were cleaning you know being a bit more excessive with it etc but we didn't know anything and as this second wave has come up and the deaths aren't kind of following the rate of infection like they used to be, I start to question things. And again, that's, that's healthy, right? You should be questioning things. I start to question things around, why are we being told the things that we're being told about this virus? Why are we, why are we being made to effectively give up our livelihoods? And stay in the house. They're talking about arresting people. And charging people. Who see each other for Christmas. The strain that this is having on our mental health. And on our financial health. Is far worse. I would argue. Than anything that the virus is doing. And I will never downplay the loss of life. That has occurred from. The result of a COVID infection. But again, I'm a data-led person. I like to understand the statistics of things and the facts behind things. And the truth of the matter is this proportionately affects older people and unhealthy people. Disproportionately. So the ones who are, are most, you know, severely hurt and ultimately, you know, pass away from this are those with underlying conditions those that are kind of 65 plus and those that are grotesquely unhealthy that's just the facts and look at the facts from the second wave because the chart came out today to show in the second wave and in the first wave how this is uh, manifesting out how it's killing people how it's you know how it's kind of dragging through the community yet we're being told that we can't do certain things, and the reason that we can't do certain things is because we have to save the NHS. We have to protect lives and save the NHS. That's the line we've been given since the beginning. Don't overwhelm the NHS. Well, the NHS has never been more than fifty percent over capacity. In uh, ca- at capacity, right? <clears throat> now it's nowhere even close. I mean, they they set up all these Nightingale hospitals that they needed, and 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 all of that. Well, I read a report the other day that said that the flu cases this year are down 92%. How legitimate is that report? I don't know. I don't know. It seemed like it came from a reputable source. And it said that the NHS is reporting 92% less flu deaths this year. And if you look historically, we get, you know, anywhere from sort of 30 to 60,000 deaths a year from the flu which is kind of curious, right? So I just started thinking to myself, and maybe this is my quiet part out loud for the week. Um, I started thinking to myself, why do they keep telling us that we have to save the NHS if the NHS has not really ever been strained to the level it has? I spoke to some people who are frontline workers. Um, I've spoken to some people who are uh, employees of the NHS, but not frontline workers. The frontline workers overwhelmingly have been, you know, working hard and working very busy and so on and so forth. And they've been doing a great job and, and, and kudos to them. They are, you know, they are heroes and they deserve much more than they're currently getting from the government and from the public in general. But then when you speak to those other folks, the people who have been in the cancer wards and people who have been in other parts of the, uh, the NHS, they've said that they've been not busy at all. Which I find really curious because we know now that anything that has been an excess death has been related to COVID. So, for instance, if you die of a heart attack but you tested positive for COVID, you didn't die of a heart attack, you died of COVID. And that has been recorded in extreme circumstances like car accidents, for instance. Die in a car accident but you test positive for COVID, it's a COVID death. So all of this nonsense—I say nonsense—all of this rhetoric around we need to save the NHS, protect the NHS, save lives, say don't overwhelm the NHS. I've not—I've not seen when the over when the NHS has been overwhelmed. And then I got to thinking, and maybe this is a little bit conspiratorial, and if it is, and it's a little too far out there for you, I get it. It was just a thought that I had, and I wanted to. I just wanted to verbalize it. Because you never know. Um, There's been talk over the past year of, or past two years, of the potential sale of the NHS to America. Donald Trump has mentioned this, even if that was him saying the quiet part out loud. Boris Johnson has vehemently denied it, but there's been kind of messages to the contrary, let's say. And I think to myself, okay, the NHS is publicly funded from our taxes, right? The government pumps money into it. That's our money. That's that's tax money that pays for the NHS. But now the economy is in the toilet and we've had such a, an explosion of unemployment during COVID And a report that I read today that said that another 16 million jobs in this country could be at risk over the next couple of months leading up to Christmas. And I think to myself, okay, well, they're going to have to put our taxes up at some point because these billions and billions of pounds that they've given to various, you know, corporations, EasyJet, Chanel, you name it, these scumbags have just siphoned the money off of. You know, with all the consultation fees that they're paying, these freelance fees that they're paying, 7,000 pounds a day, you know, all of this extra money that they pumped into the furlough scheme, which is the only good thing that they've done during the COVID crisis. Maybe, maybe, this is being continued to show how vulnerable the NHS is. Or to make the NHS appear more vulnerable than it is. So they potentially, you know, down the road, 6, 8, 12, 18 months, who knows, I don't know. Maybe they say, you know what, we've got to raise your taxes. But that has to go to X, Y, and Z. And I don't know how much money we've got for the NHS. And if we don't do something about our precious NHS, it might go away forever. So you know what we have to do? We have to sell it. Or we're going to have to put your taxes up a whole lot higher to be able to fund it. Because we spent all this money during COVID paying off furlough and paying off, you know, employment schemes and 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 trying to support business and so on and so forth but we can't do this indefinitely and we've got a way out we've got this american conglomerate over here that are willing to pay us a trillion dollars and that solves our economic crisis because we're going to have an extended sustained economic crisis in this country get that straight all of the money that the government has been just spewing out to everybody, well, that's your money. That's my money. And if we're all out of work, we're not going to have any more money. Because we're all going to be on job seeker's Allowance paying ourselves back that money that we've put into the system. So we're not going to have an excess amount of money to be able to fund the NHS if the NHS is overwhelmed Right, So it just makes me think maybe they're trying to make the NHS appear weaker than it is because it's a massive expense that they don't want to deal with. And ultimately the end goal would be to sell it. I don't know. I don't know. But I had that thought ticking around in my head. Maybe it's ridiculous. Maybe it's, as I said, tinfoil hat stuff, conspiratorial. I don't know. But what I do know is that nobody in our government has been truthful with us from the jump, from the start of this. And we're sitting here being told we can't go here, we can't go there, you can't see your family, our family members are dying on their own. You know, we're, um, we're, we're having to wear face masks everywhere, which to be honest, I don't actually mind the face mask thing. Um, but we're having our lives impeded upon when the statistics around the the mortality rates of COVID don't really bear out in my opinion because we're locking the country down for 300 deaths a day let me ask you to do a little bit of research how many people die every year From like respiratory failure or congenital heart failure or obesity or cancer or smoking or whatever right? look at the numbers look at the numbers what's the government doing about smoking? what's the government doing about obesity? what is the government doing about any affliction? But yet, 300 deaths from COVID, which is I think what we had yesterday, is cause for crisis management. When overwhelmingly the people that are dying from COVID, and I'm not saying it's okay by the way, I'm just saying it's a fact, are like 70 plus, 65 plus. We're not being told to exercise. We're not being told to eat healthier. We're not being told that vitamin D supplementation, vitamin A supplementation, zinc supplementation will do you a world of good to protect you from COVID. We're not being told any of that. We're being told stay inside. What does that do? It deprives you of vitamin D. Not that you're going to get any in you know, London or in England at this time of year, but we're being told to stay indoors. We're being told to not mingle. We're being told to, you know, do things that are detrimental to our mental health, which bring down our immune system. If we're not supplementing, if we're not eating right, which is definitely happening because the alcohol rate, uh, the alcohol consumption rate is way up. We're being told all of the wrong things is my point. And I just wonder why and so that kind of conspiracy theory popped into my head and I just wanted to mention it and and kind of get it out there because these politicians are dirty bastards and they don't give a shit about you so would it be the craziest thing in the world if they were trying to sell the NHS from under our noses and blaming it effectively on us you're going out you're going out you're going out rates are going up 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 don't stress the NHS out. We can't afford to pay for it anymore. We've got no more money. We can't pay you guys. We can't pay for the NHS. we got to sell it. we got to get ourselves out of this economic crisis. I don't know. It's worth thinking about, though, I think. What else did I want to talk about today? I don't know. Kanye West bought Kim Kardashian a hologram of her dead father for her 40th birthday. How the fuck is that front page news? I don't know. Strange. So those are a couple of things that I wanted to talk about and uh and just jump on the mic and 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 have a quick chat about with you guys and and truthfully I wanted to test out the new equipment I wanted to see how we could get this thing editing and you know what what that all felt like see the lighting and and, and all of that and I just wanted to you know get back on because it's been a couple of weeks and I haven't expressed my full thoughts about some of the things that we talked about today specifically black lives matter um i want to do a lot more on this organization who have now positioned themselves and registered as a political party they wanted to just be someone who created equality for the black community but again have a look into the organization because the things that they're claiming to be true are not their intentions seem to be nefarious more than uh, benevolent. And it's a slippery slope because anybody that wants to tear down the system in the name of equality, history says that they're probably lying. History says that when given the opportunity to cement power for oneself, one will. And one will do it in their favor, overwhelmingly. And I will refer you again to the Gulag Archipelago novel, three-volume masterpiece about the Bolshevik Revolution. Uh, I want to go a lot more into that because this gentleman that was killed in America by the police was coming at them with a knife and you can see it on video. But people claim he was a man's man, and he was a family man, and he was a good guy. Well, respectfully, I disagree. And what's disturbing to me is that these Black Lives Matter folks took this little kid's son and paraded him around like a puppet, getting him to say, my daddy was a good man. My daddy was a, you know, he he would always take me places and he would always make me laugh. And then this little kid who's had no coaching of his own comes out and says, white racist cops killed my daddy and black lives still matter. How fucking stupid do you think people are? How ignorant do you, Do you think people are? You think they can't see through this? You can't have identity politics. You can't have people separated and divided because of the color of their skin. You cannot do it. And again, the facts don't bear out because nobody's comparing blacks to Asians, or Chinese, because if you did that, the discrepancy would be even worse than it is with white people. Because white people and Chinese people have a massive discrepancy in all of the things that they claim black people and white people have a discrepancy in. Do some research. But I'm not done with Black Lives Matter, not by a long shot. And I'm going to be naming the people who are in that organization, and I'm going to be showing you some of their philosophy and how peaceful they are, and how unifying they are. They've taken almost a billion dollars, probably more than a billion dollars now, over their seven-year history as an organization. I would challenge somebody to give me one example of an initiative that they've started, a community uh, program that they've developed, where they've pumped money, this money that they've taken from, you know, people who think they're doing the right thing, giving to a noble cause. I would challenge anybody out there To give me an example of what they have done positively in any community. One. Put it in the comments below. This is going to be on YouTube. I'm putting myself out there. I challenge you to tell me one good thing that Black Lives Matter, the organization, has done. They've hijacked Black Lives Matter, the sentiment, from the people that deserved to run with it and make a case for it. Is there equality problems? Of course there are. But that's not what Black Lives Matter are after. They're after destruction and they're after rebuilding it in their own image so that they can subjugate the people that they claimed to be victims of now. And what I mean by that is they claim that systemic racism has caused everything that is wrong, right? It's critical race theory. Systemic racism is responsible for everything that happens in society and it's because of white supremacy systemic white supremacy and racism that everything is wrong right anything that's wrong you can blame it on that that's what critical race theory is so what they want to do is they want to tear the whole thing down they want to build it back up with them at the top so they can then subjugate the people who they claim have subjugated them in the past but take it out on people today have you ever done anything racist? Have you ever, you know, subjugated a black person or a minority person? Have you? Are you an ignorant, you know, piece of shit that thinks that, you know, not all people are equal? That equal, you know, equality of opportunity is not a good thing? I don't meet too many people like that. Yet they claim that this world is just full of them. And it's their job to be the saviors of the community and the saviors of society by tearing down all of our institutions and rebuilding them back up in an, equal, in, in, in an equal way. Equality of outcome is probably one of the most dangerous theories that you can come up with. And we'll go into that on subsequent episodes as well. But I just wanted to say there's more on that to come. So I think that's going to be it for today. Uh, we've probably gone longer than I anticipated going. We're over an hour, but that's okay. Uh, This will be up on YouTube as soon as I can get it edited, but I appreciate you guys. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you kind of stayed with me while I was figuring this whole thing out. I'm gonna get better at it. Um, But it's, you know, it's the next level of what we want to do, and I I hope this isn't distracting. I'm I'm a very kind of animated talker. and I can't help it. But we'll still be doing the audio version. So you're going to get that on SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify and so on. And then the video version will come up on YouTube. Uh, and I've got a video editor that uh, is going to be helping us with all of that. So we'll put some graphics in there and hopefully some pop-ups. And, you know, just make it nice production value for everybody. And, and, uh, and hopefully you guys enjoy that. But, uh, yeah, check us out on YouTube. It's The Quiet Part Loud Podcast is the name of our channel. Um, on Twitter... Quiet Part Loud is our at handle. Uh, Facebook, we've got a page over there. It's not very active, but we put all of the episodes up if Facebook's your platform. Uh, but you can effectively get this show anywhere that you want. So I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you'll come back and check us out again. We're going to be doing more of this. And we've got two guests lined up for the next two weeks. So next Wednesday, I'm going to be interviewing somebody. And the following Wednesday, I've got somebody coming on the show as well. And those are two very different people. They're from two totally different industries. But I'm really interested in talking to both of them about uh, very, very different subjects. So that's the point. I want to talk to you like this. I want to give you guys other people's point of view. I want to bring interesting folks on, um, have those conversations, and just bring you guys the best content and the most honest content. And hopefully, again, create an environment where we can have a nuanced conversation. So, um, so that's it, and uh, and I'll sign off. So uh, my name is Darryl, If you've never been here before, and uh, Thanks a lot for tuning in, guys. Until next time, all the best.